Hello and good evening. Welcome to another episode of Between the Presets, a podcast by me, Rudy Stetner, that comes out every Monday evening. Here is the place where anything that can be said in polite company is fair game for discussion, even if it occasionally offends. Let's roll. Good evening. It is Monday evening, the 22nd of Kislev, and the 4th of December. This Thursday night, we will be lighting the first candle of Hanukkah. This Thursday, December 7th, will be the 82nd anniversary of the bombing of Pearl Harbor. On that day, December 7th, 1941, the Japanese Air Force attacked uh, the U.S. naval base in Pearl Harbor in Hawaii, which at that time was a territory of the United States. Uh, Totally caught everybody by surprise. It was very quickly um, declared to be by our president at that time, Franklin Roosevelt, a day that would live in infamy. It was a cowardly attack. Um, The soldiers were sleeping on a Sunday morning. One of the reasons why the uh, Pearl Harbor attack took place on a Sunday, the Japanese knew that uh, Americans would be sleeping. Um, A lot of people would be off base, uh, perhaps attending religious services, what have you, and our guard was down. Much of the same logic went into... um, the planning of October 7th. It was planned on Shabbat, a day when people would be uh, resting. And not only that, it was a big Jewish holiday. It was Simchat Torah. So the calculation was strike while people are sleeping, strike while they're weak, and strike while unexpected. Unfortunately, uh, the calendar of history is has been since December 7th, 1941, crowded with days that would uh, live in infamy. September 11th, 2001, when uh, planes uh, purposely crashed into uh, the World Trade Center, killing thousands. Seems, seems to be right in that category. It's interesting and it's troubling to see the process through which um, 9-11 seems to have uh, faded from collective memory. I shudder to think how it might be taught on some progressive college campuses in universities where most of the students were not yet born when it happened. One little sidebar of 
World War II history is uh, there were a handful of broadcasters who broadcast on shortwave radio, which 80 years ago and even more recently was a way that one's voice could be heard around the world. Instead of radio stations which broadcast, say, to uh, a city or within 50 or 100 miles, uh, shortwave radio can be heard around the world. But a couple of the gems of shortwave that they had at that time, there were people who, during World War II, sided with the enemy. Ezra Pound was a famous American poet who, uh, along with his renowned literary works, also did uh, propaganda broadcasts for fascist Italy. Uh, he served some time after the war for that. Then there was William Joyce, also known as Lord Ha Ha, I guess sort of a caricature of his accent. And he did broadcasts uh, to England from Berlin during World War II. Uh, he was actually executed. And then there were a number of female broadcasters known as, um, I think collectively known as Axis Sally. There was more than one of them. And uh, they used to uh, attempt to undermine Allied morale by, uh, I guess, counseling defeatism to American troops serving in the Pacific. All of these broadcasts are uh, available on YouTube. If you type in Axis Sally, Lord Ha Ha, or Ezra Pound uh, with the qualifier radio broadcasts or whatever, uh, you can bring up uh, entire entire broadcasts. They're very interesting. It's interesting to note that during the Great Depression, uh, not only communism achieved an, a large uptick in popularity, but also various forms of fascism, Nazism, what have you. There was the German-American Bund, and uh, in some circles, such as uh, Gertrude Stein in uh, Paris, she spent the entire she spent the war years in Paris. She translated speeches of Henri Philippe Pétain, the uh, Nazi collaborator, dictator of France, and uh, I guess to her, uh, the French variants of fascism were très chic. Of course, nowadays we have the internet. You can still get shortwave radios. I, I occasionally listen. I'd like to get a good one, but the technology has largely been superseded by uh, being able to go online and you can 
with a little bit of research, uh, hear the other side of the story. Shortwave radio had a lot of static and hisses and pops and cracks, but once you log into a website from, say, North Korea, or you could probably log into radical Islamic sites, and uh, if you go to these uh, social media sites, the possibilities are just endless. There's only one uh, troubling uh, footnote to this, this, uh, you know, availability of international communication to literally anybody to not only listen, but to speak, to have a voice in cyber cyberspace. And that is the ease with which people can be canceled. I used to blog on blogger.com and I could be, you know, pretty rude in stating my point of view. I'm not ashamed to say that. There are things that I will say about a president that I don't like or a governor or whatever that I would never say say to or about a member of my family. But anyhow, the I had a couple of websites on blogger.com and I got some notes, some emails that my some of my posts had offended community standards, offended community standards, and that they would be removed. I don't even have access to my own material now. Now, in the old days, uh, censorship was pretty rude. Uh, the libraries would take your books off the shelves. Um, the bookstores would remove them. Maybe they would end up in a dumpster. Uh, Nazi Germany was very rude. They had public book burnings. But there was always the possibility that somewhere in somebody's house, a book that did not reach the attention of the book burners or a book that was taken out of the country had somehow survived the attempt at censorship. Now, it's much more streamlined. You don't need a bunch of thugs in um, uh, military-style uniforms. You don't need to get your fingers dirty with uh, printer's ink, uh, handling and manhandling uh, contraband ideas. Just somebody in the offices of Google or whatever um, cyber information hub there is can just decide that you should not be heard. And the term used is you have offended community standards. Now, what is it a community? Is it people that live on the same block? Chances are where, where I live, people who live on the same block are probably plugged into different communities. You have Hispanics, Chinese, um, Hasidic people, uh, 
Italians, Irish, living alongside each other. We live separate lives, and we may live next door to each other, but we may belong to different communities. But in the name of community standards, it's okay to silence somebody. Now, who is the elected head of this community? Who Community, I say in air quotes, who decides what I can and cannot hear? I don't know. I didn't elect them. But somehow they got a job um, deciding which ideas go go to the grave of silence and which, which, which ones are pushed in our faces, which ones are pushed to the top of Google algorithms, which ones are allowed on YouTube. When I hear community standards, there is a term the Nazis used, the, the Volksgemeinde, the people's community. And uh, the Nazis, like the communists, had a way of standing up and stepping forward and speaking in the name of the community, in quotes. I mean, some of the stuff I wrote was of inferior quality. Some of it I would judge differently with 2020 hindsight. But the decision of what I, what I, what I, what and if I should withdraw something from circulation, that should be mine. I might try some technical tweaks to retrieve a handful of things I wrote that uh, uh, I am uh, reasonably proud of. But that should be my choice. But censorship today is just so... Uh, so streamlined. We don't. E we're not even aware that it's happening. The Soviet Union, you know, the former Soviet Union, um, had a very interesting way of doing things. First, if you bought a typewriter, and this wasn't just in the Soviet Union; it was in communist Romania. The list could go on and on. You bought a typewriter, and that typewriter was registered. Uh, each one, uh, it kind of, uh, it, it's just like hands have fingerprints. No two typewriters type exactly alike. The keys might be mounted at an angle or whatever. And if somebody wanted to type a <coughs> type a subversive article or a poem or whatever, they could, with a little bit of effort, trace it to whatever typewriter it came from. That form of um, things passed on by hand, typing something and passing it to strangers for their consideration. That was known as Samizdat. But they also had the uh, Soviet Encyclopedia. And um, it was a, you know, pretty impressive work. It was a nice little thing to have in your home. Pro probably, pro in terms of size and scale, it was like Encyclopedia Britannica. Took up a nice long shelf. Problem was, if you print a uh, an encyclopedia and 
somebody is listed as a um, hero of the Russian Revolution, um, a um, renowned leader of the Communist Party, they can they can and did fall out of favor. And what they used to do in the Soviet Union, every set of uh, Soviet encyclopedias was registered, and you would get a letter if uh, that there was a mistake on, say, say uh, pages 943 to 947 in volume S. And could you please cut out those pages and return them in the, in the envelope provided? And they would in turn send you pages which you could paste back into the encyclopedia in their place so that it wouldn't look tacky with pages ripped out. And it was not a question uh, of whether or not you were going to ignore that letter. You had to answer it. So back in the day, the desire to censor what people read what people heard and the ideas people could be exposed to took place against a different uh, technological backdrop. Instead of computers, it was your database was your personal library or the public library. You had shortwave radio. Um, I think the closest thing that you could get to storing a large amount of information in a small space was microfilm. Now we got thumb drives. Uh, I, I have a pretty decent library on my telephone. I was uh, told by somebody who had a pretty high security clearance. I won't say where. He said, uh, your telephone tracks you. They can tell where you are, and they can listen to you. And I said, well, what if you just turn your phone off? And he said, you can still be listened to, to you. You can still be listened to. I don't know if this is true across all telephones, but apparently a large number of them. So I said, well, if you want to have a private discussion, uh, what do you do? If you don't want to be listened to, tracked. So he said, like this, he said, you should at least, if you're going to have any type of conversation that you don't want uh, heard, you should be four meters, that's a little over 16 feet away from your telephone and you should preferably have that telephone in a metal box. Now we look at smartphones, computers as things which uh, free us. I was able to buy a present for a family member uh, yesterday. I didn't even have to change out of my pajamas to do it.
seems like a lot of freedom. I can track down news articles, uh, access library databases. It's a beautiful world, but nobody offers anything for free. You know, uh, just like a fish discovers that that free worm comes with a hook, so it is with, uh, you know, all the free stuff we get online. Uh, the one thing that for the time being remains true is you can put together your own personal stream of information. For the time being, we can uh, choose our news sources, weigh their trustworthiness, weigh their limitations. But at the same time, as we do this, uh, we're being tracked. I am deeply grateful, for instance, to YouTube for their incredibly spot-on recommendations to me uh, for music, etc. I get a really nice mix of Spanish music, Italian music, East German rock music. It's, it's beautiful. And then I get crime shows, shows that are tailed to my political and cultural interests, but it's kind of like, hello, are you stalking me? They seem to know I got arthritis. Weird stuff. I used to have a poster in my room when I was a teenager. Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not really out to get you. That seems to be true uh, today more than ever. So that's it for this week. Um, I haven't mentioned much about uh, the war in Israel. I am hoping for a quick and resounding victory for Israel in the uh, upcoming days. And I can say with complete confidence that a, an Israeli victory would be of great benefit not only to Israel, but to those who call Israel their enemy. I think it's safe to say that uh, Japan, Germany, and other Axis powers who were defeated by America in World War II are happy that they were, and I hope that they were defeated. And uh, I wish upon Israel's enemies that same happiness. May the Almighty watch over and protect us all. This wraps up another weekly episode of Between the Presets. I thank you all for the pleasure of sharing with me my weekly muse. Whatever platform you access, hitting like, subscribe, or leaving a comment is much appreciated. My email address is the winter Riders at gmail.com thewinterriders at gmail.com Until next week, adio, which in some African languages means born on Monday or be righteous and closely resembles adios in Spanish.